in my opinion, the scariest or maybe I should say most frightening passage in all the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus describes the scene at the future judgment day. He says that many people, not just some, not just a few, but many people are going to be surprised and shocked to hear him say, I never knew you, depart from me. Why will so many people be shocked when they hear Jesus utter those words? The obvious answer is because they were assuming that they had no reason to doubt their eternal destiny in heaven. All along, they assumed they were fine. They assumed they were okay with God. They assumed they were acceptable before the Lord. What could cause a person to have that kind of assumption? There could be many reasons why a person would make that kind of assumption, but there is one that is especially prevalent today. In fact, there may be, there likely is, or likely are, people here this morning who fall into this category. Specifically, I am referring to the common tendency people have to think that they have the right to set the conditions of salvation. Beloved, there are thousands and thousands of people who do this very thing. They believe they have the right to set the conditions of salvation. They believe that God will accept them as long as they are sincere. They believe that God will accept them as long as their good outweighs their bad. They believe that God will give them salvation if they say enough prayers or just the right prayer. They believe that God will forgive their sins if they are sorry enough. They believe that Jesus will give them his salvation if they believe that he died on the cross. They believe that the only condition for salvation is that you try to be good. Or the only condition for salvation is to do your best. Or the only condition for salvation is to attend church. Listen, there are all sorts of people who have set up their own conditions for salvation. Therefore, they are going to be shocked beyond description when they stand before Jesus and hear him say, I never knew you, depart from me. You see, they had established their own conditions or terms for salvation. But that's not how it works. The Lord is the one who sets the terms. The Lord is the one who sets the conditions, not us. There was a man in the first century who learned this in a stunning way as a result of a very brief conversation with Jesus. It's recorded for us in Mark chapter 10. So turn with me there in your Bible to Mark chapter 10. And please follow along as I read verses 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10 tells us now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This story is so critical. This event is so critical in the life and ministry of our Lord that it is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are a number of important things that we can learn from this incident, and one of the most significant is the fact that it is the Lord Jesus who sets the conditions for salvation. We don't come on our own terms. There are many people who do want to come on their own terms. They want to come to Jesus for salvation, but they want to stay in their false religion also. They want to come to Jesus for salvation, but they want to continue living in sin. They want to come to Jesus for salvation, but they don't want him to tell them what to do. They want to come to Jesus for salvation, but they want to live any way they want to live. They are interested in salvation if, if they can come on their own terms. But this story shows us that we can't come on our own terms. Jesus is the one who sets the terms or the conditions. Not everyone realizes that. Not everyone accepts that. At least this rich young ruler understood that much. He realized that Jesus had and has the sovereign right to set the terms of salvation. Therefore, once this man clearly heard what those conditions were from the mouth of Jesus himself, this man didn't try to argue. He simply walked away without that for which he had come. He came to Jesus for eternal life, and shockingly, he left without it. Let's unfold this story together. Verse 17, Mark tells us that as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Please notice that the subject this man wanted to discuss with Jesus and wanted to inquire of Jesus about was the subject of eternal life. That is the most important issue in the world to understand. It's the most important issue in the world to have right. So this passage is invaluable for us. This man wanted to know what he had to do to obtain eternal life. What could be more important than that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Mark tells us that this man came running up to Jesus 
and knelt before him. Picture that in your mind. Here's Jesus heading out, going to his next location, and all of a sudden a man comes running up and kneels right in front of him, just stops him dead in his tracks, so Jesus has to interact with this man. He was eager to get an answer to his question. He was bound and determined to get an answer. He really wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit or obtain eternal life. From a human standpoint, this guy really looks ready. He looks like he really wants to know what he has to do. And he looks like at this point that he is, he is willing to do whatever is necessary. But the Lord knows the heart. He knows how sincere the desire is in a person's heart. He knows how genuine the desire is. And he knows how real the humility is. We can't see all of that. But the Lord can I mean, we would have assumed, listen, any one of us in this room would have assumed this guy's ready for salvation. I mean, he, he just dropped everything, ran to Jesus, knelt before him. This guy's, you know, he's just ready for the picking. But the Lord is about to bring out what's in the heart as he interacts with this young man. This is such a fascinating conversation because in it, Jesus answers some crucial questions for us. And maybe the most crucial is, what is genuine saving faith? What is genuine saving faith? Is it simply acknowledging the fact that Jesus is God and that he died and rose again? Or is genuine saving faith a commitment of your life to Jesus? You see, this man had a lot of the facts right. But it's obvious that wasn't enough. The Lord went after something deeper. The Lord went after the man's heart. The Lord went after the man's will. This man knew enough to ask Jesus about eternal life, so evidently he knew that Jesus was some kind of Savior. But that wasn't enough. Jesus called the man to surrender his will to him as Lord, which this man wasn't willing to do. When it was all said and done, the man was not willing. Beloved, do you realize how many people there are today in this same category? Think about the parallels. They know enough about the gospel. They know enough about the Bible to know that Jesus is the Savior. And they are, they are even willing to acknowledge him as such and approach him as such. But they aren't willing to let go of whatever is holding them back to embrace Jesus as their Lord. And the scary thing about it is that many of these people believe or assume that they are saved and right with God and headed for heaven. Just as tragic is the fact that there are Christians who tell them that they are fine. There are those in the family of God who tell people that they are saved just as long as they believe that Jesus is the Savior. And they say that if you suggest that believing in that fact alone is not sufficient, then somehow you are corrupting grace and adding to the gospel. The way Jesus dealt with this man, the way Jesus approached this subject would suggest otherwise. Let's see how Jesus did it. 
Verse 18, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. When Jesus said these words, he wasn't denying the fact that he was God. At first glance, it's a little confusing. What is Jesus saying here? Well, in in fact, Jesus was actually affirming his deity. He was in essence saying this. Listen, if you want to talk to me about eternal life, you need to realize who I am. By calling me good, you are calling me God, and that's who I am. Only God has the right to constitute the terms of eternal life. Only God has the right to set the conditions of eternal life. That's basically what Jesus was saying to this man. So after he establishes his deity, he wants to establish this man's sinfulness. And he attempts to do so by saying, keep the commandments. He tells this man to keep the commandments. Verse 19, you know the commandments, and Jesus lists them. In Matthew's gospel, the wording is, Jesus specifically said, you want to know what you have to do? Keep the commandments. Can you believe Jesus said that? Some today would say, Jesus, you're confusing salvation and discipleship. You're adding works to grace. You're corrupting the gospel. No, Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. He's checking out the authenticity of this man's desire. He's checking out the man's willingness to do whatever is necessary to be saved. We would never do it this way today. Never. Today, if someone came to us and asked us what to do to inherit eternal life, we would probably say something like this. Well, all you need to do is say this little prayer, and then you'll be saved. All all you need to do is fill out a card, or, or all you need to do is walk the aisle during an invitation. Then you're good. I heard a true story about an American evangelist who was in Russia a while back. After speaking... This evangelist said, all of you who want to become Christians, raise your hand. The Russian believer who was telling this story said the Russians were shocked at that approach because anybody can raise a hand. And it's interesting to note that our brothers and sisters there in Russia, when they describe someone uh, becoming a Christian, getting saved, the phrase that they always use is, he repented or she repented. That's just the expression, just like the expression of the phrase. Just like we might say, well, you know, hey, Tom became a Christian last week, or Sally, you know, became a believer. Well, they say, Sally repented. Bob repented. That's the phrase. Today, it's the normal thing to hear an evangelist say, just raise your hand. That wasn't the approach Jesus took. He wants to know if this man has an accurate realization of his sinfulness. And that's why he told this man to keep the commandments. He wants to know if this man realizes how how short he falls of God's standard. He wants to know if the man understands that he is a sinner who deserves judgment and needs grace and forgiveness. He wants to know if the man is humbled and broken before God because of his sin, like the man who prayed in the temple God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The way this man eventually responded answered all of those questions. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. 
Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Jesus quotes six of the Ten Commandments. And in Matthew's account, he adds the commandment from Leviticus 19.18, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that Jesus adds that last command from Leviticus 19. You see, Jesus is trying to get this man to see his sin. And maybe he'd never murdered. Maybe he'd never committed adultery. But there's no way he'd always loved his neighbor as himself. So Jesus is trying to get this man to see his need. But it didn't get through. Because in verse 20, he answered and said to Jesus, Teacher... All these things I have kept from my youth. By making that statement, he violated the command, you shall not bear false witness. Because his his statement is undoubtedly false. He had not kept all the commandments perfectly from his youth. He was refusing to see that hate is tantamount to murder and lust is tantamount to adultery. You see, here's the problem, beloved. This man did not see that he is a sinner. He just didn't see that. And if a person doesn't realize he is a sinner, he is in no position for salvation. You can't be saved if you don't understand that you're lost. You can't be forgiven if you don't see that you need forgiveness. You can't receive salvation if you don't admit you are a sinner. The Lord can do nothing for the person who doesn't see his or her true spiritual condition. That's why Jesus made the comment in Matthew 9, 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he added, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When he said that, he was not implying that anyone is righteous in and of himself or or that there are those who don't need to repent. He is saying he came to call those who recognize their need, those who recognize they need to repent. This man, it's obvious, you can see it, this man didn't recognize that he needed to repent. He he assumed he was well spiritually and whole and pure and healthy. He was refusing to see the true condition of his heart. So rather than arguing with the man, Jesus decided to come at the issue from a different angle. He knew the way to get this man's heart out on the table. Verse 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Notice what Jesus is doing here. This is fascinating. He is getting this man's heart out on the table so he can really see it. This man thought he was fine. He felt like he was a pretty good person. He didn't see that he had a heart problem, so Jesus exposed the true condition of his heart. He is saying, in essence, if you are really serious about having eternal life, then put some actions with your words. Do what I want you to do. Jesus is asking this man to submit to him as Lord, not just as Savior, but as Savior and Lord. It's it's almost as if Jesus is asking the question, are you willing to do what I want you to do? Are you willing to let me call the shots in your life? 
This man claimed to love his neighbor as himself. He said, I've done that ever since I was a little guy. So Jesus says, okay, prove it. Put your money where your mouth is. Sell everything you have and give it away. Now we know from many, many passages of Scripture that this is not a requirement of salvation. When Jesus talked with Nicodemus about salvation, he didn't tell him, Nicodemus, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. When Jesus talked with the woman at the well about salvation in John 4, he didn't tell her, ma'am, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Nowhere else does Jesus say this, so we know that he wasn't teaching salvation by philanthropy. And there is no other statement anywhere in the New Testament that suggests it either. So why did Jesus say it here? Why did he say it on this occasion? He said it here because Jesus knew what issue was holding this young man back. Jesus knew this man's heart. And he knew exactly what would demonstrate his unwillingness to complete submission. So Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, beloved, again, I would remind you that many, many Christians today would say, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? You, you are corrupting the gospel of grace. You're adding works to grace. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He is simply saying this. Listen, if you want eternal life, if you want salvation, then you must come on my terms. And please notice that Jesus told this man he had to take up the cross. Again, again, I would say that there are many Christians who would suggest Jesus, that's not a condition for salvation. You're mixed up here. That's a condition for discipleship. You're confusing the issue. No. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Salvation involves taking up the cross and following Christ. Beloved, salvation is not merely an intellectual issue. That's what so many are trying to make it today. They have reduced salvation down to an intellectual issue of believing a certain set of facts. They say, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, then you are a Christian. That is not true. Because salvation is more than just an intellectual issue. The demons know and believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. Salvation is more than just believing a certain set of facts. There are a lot of people in society who believe the fact that Jesus died on the cross, but that doesn't make them Christians. You could go out this afternoon in our community or tomorrow or during the week, and you could go up on campus or out to the mall, or you could go into any public place and just do a survey. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again? And you would get a lot of affirmative answers. A lot of people would, yeah, sure, I believe that. There are a lot of people in society who believe the fact that Jesus died on the cross, but that doesn't make them Christians. Because salvation is more than just mental assent. Salvation is more than just knowledge. Yes, there is a knowledge aspect to salvation in that people need to know the facts of the gospel. 
People need to know that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and that he rose again the third day, but it doesn't stop there. There's more to it than that. In addition to the mind, there's the heart. There's the will, volition. Salvation is a total package. It's not merely a mind issue. It's a heart issue, a will issue. That's why Jesus did what he did on this occasion with this rich young ruler. This man needed to come to grips with the condition of his heart, and he needed to come to terms with the issue of his will. Was he willing to submit to Jesus or not? That was the question Jesus was forcing him to face. Was he willing to submit to Jesus or not? That was at the core of Jesus' message. And beloved, it's the same message we need to be proclaiming today. If an individual wants eternal life, if an individual wants salvation, he must be willing to come to grips with his sin and commit his life to Jesus Christ. That is why I so often purposely use the phrase, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't just take him as Savior and refuse to take him as Lord. You can't split him up and say, well, I'll take part of him now and then maybe part of him later. Now, I'm not suggesting that when a person comes to faith in Christ, that individual has a full understanding of what submission to Christ means. No, rarely would that be the case. But there must be a willingness. There must be a yieldedness. That's the point that Jesus is making here. You really don't have to sell everything you have to be a Christian. But listen, you have to be willing to. You have to be willing to do whatever Jesus says. But this man wasn't willing. Verse 22 tells us, But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. By the way, this little comment here, and if you combine it with Luke's account and Matthew's account, and you you take all the details, that's where you you come up with the phrase, and you hear the phrase, the rich young ruler. That's exactly what he was. Wealthy, young, a ruler of some kind, a leader of some kind, but you need all three of the synoptic records to put those pieces together. But here, Mark at least gives us some indication of this. He says, he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What a heartbreaking incident. This man, think about this. This man came to Jesus for eternal life, but he left without it. Isn't that shocking? He rejected eternal life. When he heard what Jesus had to say, he basically said, thanks, but no thanks. It's kind of sad, but I think I'll go on my way, keep living my life. He wasn't willing to admit his sin in the first place when Jesus tried to get him to see he was a sinner. Oh, no, no, I've kept all of that from my youth. He wasn't willing to admit his sin and repent of it, and he wasn't willing to submit to Jesus when Jesus said, okay, I'll tell you what to do. And he said, no, no. And the same kind of thing happens today, often. I'm convinced there are many people today 
who claim to be Christians, if you were to ask, are you, yes, I'm a Christian. They claim to be saved, but they've never repented of their sin. They've been led to believe, or maybe they have come to the conclusion on their own part that they can receive the salvation of Jesus without ever coming to terms with the necessity of repentance. But this story proves otherwise. It is amazing to think. I, I, can't, I, I can't even wrap my mind around this. It's amazing to think that someone be, would be interested in obtaining eternal life, but willing to walk away without it. That's exactly what happened on this situation. The, the rich young ruler came to Jesus for eternal life. He ran to him, knelt before him. And at the end of the brief conversation, this young man left without eternal life. You see, he wanted to add it to the list of things he already had in life. But salvation doesn't work that way. Salvation isn't addition. It's transformation. Let me say that again. Salvation isn't addition. It's transformation. We don't just add Jesus to our lives. Like, you know, I've got a good life going, I think I'll add Jesus to it. No, when Jesus is received into our lives, he comes in as Lord. He's not added to our list of accomplishments. He's not added to our list of achievements or our list of possessions. Jesus doesn't come in to take a part. He becomes life. And once the rich young ruler understood that, he wasn't willing to accept those terms. So he came to Jesus for eternal life, but he left without it. He rejected eternal life. It's hard to even say that. He rejected eternal life. There it was, right there in front of him, and he rejected it. And this still goes on today. For example, there are people who come to church because there is something that prompts them to consider their eternal destiny. There's something that stirs them, something that's telling them that maybe they're not right with God, so they'll go to church. But when they come and hear clearly from the Word of God what is required, they walk out the doors unwilling to repent and let go of whatever is holding them back. It's shocking that people would make such a decision but the, the sad reality is that many do. And here's an interesting thing. When they do, Jesus doesn't decide to lower the standard just to keep them from walking away. What I mean is, look at this story. You don't read that Jesus ran after this man and apologized. He didn't, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it. I, I see you're walking away. Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry that my answer wasn't what you were hoping for. Let me reconsider. Maybe let's, let's think about this. For, no. There's no other way. Jesus let the man walk away. And Mark makes it clear that Jesus loved this man. Did you catch that? Mark adds this interesting note to the story, not in Matthew. He, he adds it, he says, Verse 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved this man. But love doesn't mean that you change the conditions of salvation. Love doesn't mean you throw it out or you lower the standard. 
It's interesting to note that the very last words Jesus spoke to this man were, follow me. That's what he left in this man's mind. The last statement this man heard Jesus say was, follow me. That was a call to faith. That was basically the answer to the man's question back in verse 17. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, follow me. That's what you need to do. But because Jesus knew this man's heart, and he knew that this man needed to understand what it means to follow, he said all of those other things first. Keep the commandments. Sell everything you have. He's trying to get the man's heart on the table to say, are you really willing to follow me? And this man wasn't. So what do we need to do to have eternal life? One sense, it's very simple. We need to follow Jesus. That is the most, the most common phrase in the gospel accounts. Follow me. That's what we need to do. That's why it occurs so many times in the gospels. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we come to grips with the sinfulness of our hearts and we repent. It means we come to grips with the willfulness of our hearts and we submit. It's exactly what Jesus was going after in this man's life. That's what Jesus tried to get this man to see. And evidently the man did see it to some degree. He got it. He saw it enough to realize that he didn't want it. And he was unwilling to follow Jesus. So he came to Jesus for eternal life and left without it. What about you? Why have you come here this morning? Have you come because something has stirred you to consider where you really stand with God? Have you come because something has stirred your heart to, to consider where you're, where you're at with God? If so, you've seen and heard what you need to do. You need to follow Jesus, which means you come to grips with the sinfulness of your heart and you repent. It means you come to grips with the willfulness of your heart and you submit. Now, in this man's case, Mark tells us here in verse 22, the thing, the issue for him was his wealth. He wasn't willing to let it go. It's possessions. Maybe it's the same for you. For other people, it's not possessions at all. It's pride. And for other people, it's not pride. It's people. There are people in their lives they're not willing to let go of. They're just, no, I, I want this sinful relationship. I'm not willing to let go of it to turn and follow Christ. It could be anything. It could be anything. Possessions, pride, people, popularity. It just the list is almost endless. So what is it in your life? What are you unwilling to let go of to follow Jesus? Now, if that is you, if that is you, let me remind you of what we've seen here. You don't have the right to set the terms of salvation. You don't have the right to set the conditions. You can't say, well, I do kind of want to follow Jesus, but I'm not willing to do this, or I'm not willing to let go of that. No deal. According to Jesus, no deal. Jesus calls the shots. 
We don't call the shots. So I ask you this morning, is there something in your life that you are unwilling to let go of to follow Jesus? Let go of it. Let go of it. Don't repeat this tragedy. Don't come to Jesus for eternal life and leave without it. If you do and you die that way, I guarantee you will regret it eternally. Eternally. So hear what Jesus has to say and follow him. Let's bow together as we close this morning. And as you bow your head this morning, I do really want to ask you to think about what you have seen from God's Word this morning. Never could there be a more important topic. Never could there be a more important passage than this one we have looked at this morning. Because nothing is more important, nothing is more crucial than making sure that you really have eternal life that you really are following Jesus. And you're not trying to follow him on your terms, your conditions, but on his. It's one of the reasons why this morning we sang in so many different ways songs about all to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Lord, I, prepare me to be a sanctuary. I want to just... Empty of, empty of myself and be filled with you because that's really what it's about. It's coming to the Lord open-handed and saying, Lord, whatever you ask, whatever you say, that I will do. I want to follow you. So if you're here today and it really matters to you, the condition of your heart and your eternal destiny, then hear the words of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus. And he says... Take up the cross and follow me. And follow me on my conditions, not on yours. If there is something that is holding you back, I can't urge you strongly enough, let go. Let go of it and surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Father, when we read this story, we need to remind ourselves this is not merely a story. It's a story, yes, a, a historical event. This really happened. And we're never told anything else about this young man anywhere else in the Gospels. We don't know that he ever came back around. We don't know that he ever, ever really wrestled through what Jesus said to him and, and was willing to take up his cross and follow. And if that's the way he died, it's impossible for us to just fathom that since that time he died almost 2,000 years ago, he has been alienated from you in Hades, in torment, because he wasn't willing to let go of his riches. What idiocy, what foolishness that we as people would do something like that. And yet, Father, we know that his, this story, this man's story is repeated countless times down through the centuries and is still being repeated today by people who have some interest, some stirring in their heart. And so they, they, they will come to church and they will hear. And once they hear, they say thanks but no thanks and walk away. Father, in all likelihood, there 
there is someone like that here today. Maybe more than a someone. Maybe there are several here today in that condition. Interested, but unwilling to this point. Unwilling to let go of whatever is holding them back. Father, we pray, oh, how we pray that your spirit would pry their hands loose from whatever they are gripping, whatever they are gripping so tightly that would lead them to hell, that your spirit would unloose the grip. They would surrender to Jesus Christ. They would finally say, Lord, I'm willing to come on your terms. I come on your conditions. I desire to take up my cross and follow. Father, be pleased to work that in someone's heart here today, someone hearing these words, so that he or she would truly come to know and love and follow Jesus and have eternal life. We pray these things in his matchless and precious name. Amen.